I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Hey, hey, greetings, music lovers, thrill seekers, conversationalists all across the fruited plain. It is uh, time again to honor our favorite anchorman, America's anchorman, remembering Rush on the Rush Limbaugh program. I am Jason Infrastructure Lewis. You know, I'm talking to my good buddy from high school last night, and I said, hey, Infrastructure. And then I'm watching the Masters. Did you see where Infrastructure won the Masters? And my long-lost relative, Infrastructure, called me the other day and just said, you got to watch this Yellowstone series. It's just great. I'm telling you, Infrastructure is everywhere. And why in the hell not? It's anything you want it to be if you are a Democrat. It's daycare. It's mass transit. It's child care. You name it. Just ask Kirsten Gillibrand. Just ask the energy secretary. We're going to talk about this because the gaslighting now is moving towards fiscal policy, my friends. And the fiscal policy ruse is, first it was a stimulus, and we have now we have now spent two to three times more on COVID stimulus bills, $5.7 trillion worth, more than the entire federal budget when I was in Congress. We've spent more on those than any other country. Now we're moving on to infrastructure which means anything except infrastructure. It means daycare, but it doesn't mean the Keystone Pipeline or the Enbridge Pipeline here in Minnesota. doesn't mean that. doesn't mean highways. It means mass transit. It means all of the things that Democrats want it to mean. These people will lie about anything. And in Minneapolis today, the governor, the governor is at it again. The Democrats are at it again. BLM is at it again. Uh, you know, it's almost impossible to tell listeners of EIB what it's like to live uh, in a place like Minneapolis, St. Paul, unless, of course, you're living in Seattle or Portland or New York. You know exactly what it's like. There is no, well, I, I don't want to be too hyperbolic about this, 
There is an assault on law and order while the law-abiding are locked down. It is the most perverse scenario you could possibly imagine in this country. Um, these Marxists, and let's be honest, BLM is a Marxist group. It wasn't that many years ago, I think 2014, when they were at the state fair in St. Paul saying, um, you know, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. They were after the police then, long before George Floyd. So now we're in the midst of a very, very tense trial in Minneapolis where the prosecution is saying the knee restraint by the police officer killed George Floyd, and the defense, who's yet to call their witnesses, is saying, no, 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 here's a guy who was uh, on drugs, he had high blood pressure, had heart problems, and a neck restraint, for instance, on a healthy person wouldn't have been fatal. We'll see how that plays out, but that is the point of the criminal justice system, to wait and see how it plays out. There has been... There is no wheels of justice moving slowly in Minneapolis, St. Paul, in Portland, and Seattle. It is mob rule. Um, The wheels of justice were actually moving quite rapidly. The Hennepin County attorney filed the charges the quickest in history after the George Floyd event. Quickest ever. Attorney General Keith Ellison, the predecessor to Ilan Omar, has now taken over the prosecution and... Al Sharpton and the Floyd family and everybody under the sun is warning the judge and the jury in so many public statements, you better get a conviction. You know what's going to happen if you don't? The same thing that happened last night in Brooklyn Center. Brooklyn Center is a town just adjacent to Minneapolis, about 10 miles from where the, the tragedy of George Floyd occurred. And last night there was a riot. Last night a police officer in Brooklyn Center had stopped a car, I guess it was yesterday afternoon. The driver had an outstanding warrant, apparently a suspected gang member, although we'll see how it plays out. And they had an outstanding warrant. They tried to arrest him, but the driver resisted apparently and drove away. He re-entered the vehicle and drove away, prompting the officer to fire at the vehicle, striking the driver, killing the driver. What ensued in Brooklyn Center? A suburb of St. Not even a suburb. It's really part of the the Minneapolis uh, area. What happened was not a peaceful gathering. What happened was not a curfew. What happened was not a protest. It was a riot. The Walmart store was looted. Looters spilled over into north and south Minneapolis. The police headquarters in the neighboring city of Brooklyn Park was quote-unquote shot up around 8 p.m. Multiple rounds fired through the building's glass, according to the AP report. Protesters, rioters, looters were jumping on police cars, confronting officers, rocks and objects thrown, 20 businesses. Here we go again. Remember the riots of 2020, 25 people lost their lives in Toto nationwide. 750 law enforcement officers were injured. Citizens dragged from their cars. We're talking about in Minneapolis alone in the Twin Cities, $500 million worth of damage to 1,500 buildings. They turned the auto zone into a war zone, and it happened throughout the country. What happened then? At the time, my Senate opponent, Tina Smith, encouraged the rioting by saying, we've got to examine the dangerous role police play. We need more righteous protest. What happened last night? The most, how shall I put this diplomatically? The most, I served with this guy in Congress when I was in the 115th. Tim Walls, now the governor of Minnesota, was there as well. Tim's a charlatan. Tim pretends to be the everyman, but he refers to rural Minnesota as rocks and cows people. 
after the tense situation of the trial that's ongoing, what does Governor Tim Walls tweet in the wake, this morning, in the wake of the riots last night? His wife, or I shouldn't say not his wife, but, but the governor tweeted, Gwen and I are praying for the victim's family as our state mourns another life of a black man taken by law enforcement, quote, unquote. Well, that's encouraging if you're a cop, right? Another life taken by a black man, or I should say another life of a black man taken by law enforcement. That is about as irresponsible as you can get. Why don't you, Governor, wait and see what the facts on the ground are before you start fueling the flames? These people will do anything to intimidate the other side. Now they're trying to intimidate the Supreme Court. We'll get to that a little later in the program. Indivisible Group started this intimidation tactic back in 2016 and 17. Now it's it's BLM. And don't you think Rush wasn't all over this. It wasn't that long ago. This is from the New York Post. Occupy Wall Street's finance committee has nearly $500,000 in the bank. Donations continue to pour in, but its reluctance to share the wealth with other protesters is fraying tempers. Yes, my friends, they've got a stash. They got 500 grand, but they're not redistributing the money to all the protesters. That's right. The top 1% of the protesters have the money. And you know what they did with it? They put it in a bank. (gasps) They put it in a bank. Banks are what they are protesting. In fact, I'll bet it's even collecting interest in the bank. So with a half million dollars in the bank, isn't Occupy Wall Street part of the 1% now? Yeah. Some drummers incensed that they got no money to replace or safeguard their drums after a midnight vandal destroyed the drums on Wednesday are threatening to split her. Are these people playing that Todd Rundgren song? I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drums all day. That used to be a theme song for the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers scored a touchdown two or three years ago, and that's what I don't want to work. Just want to bang on the drum all day. Well, I know. Probably residents went down there and vandalized the drugs. They played the drums all night, keeping people awake. So one of the Occupy Wall Streeters said, uh, bleep finance. I hope Mayor Bloomberg gets an injunction, demands to see the movement's books. We, we need to know how much money we really have and where it's going, said a frustrated Brian Smith, 45, who joined Occupy Wall Street in lower Manhattan nearly three weeks ago from Los Angeles, where he works in TV production. So it's just, it's hilarious. The things they're protesting are now happening within their own group. They got 500 grand, and it's not being distributed. It's not being divvied up equally among all the protesters. The organizers have put it in the bank. This is the most fun and most telling article from over the weekend on this children's crusade known as Occupy Wall Street. They're putting their money in an evil bank, probably collecting interest. And with more than a half million dollars in the bank, aren't they now part of the evil 1%? Yeah, wait till they have to pay taxes on this. I'd like to see them open their books, too. You know, along with their protesters who are unhappy. Like, who is going to pay the IRS the taxes on these $500,000 donations? And note 
ladies and gentlemen, how these people can afford to buy their own underwear. Yeah, they'd rather beg on the street for new underwear than get a job, but they've got 500 grand. They can go out and buy their own sleeping bags now. They wouldn't have to make them. I don't know how they... No, you wouldn't necessarily have to file as a corporation. You could file as a nonprofit. You could file just as an individual. It might have been one guy went down there and opened up an account. Or they they could have a tax ID as a... uh, They could go sub-S. They could go a C-Corp. They could go nonprofit... We don't know how they've organized themselves. But I'll lay you 10 to 1. They've organized themselves in such a way as to have to pay as little in taxes as possible. You want to bet on that? You want to bet these people are not lining up and signing up for the 35% bracket? No, they're not. these people are going to be part of the same crowd not paying their fair share. But what they did, they had the 500 grand. They have splurged. The story in the New York Post points out that they splurged. They bought a flat-screen TV and popcorn for their pajama party movie nights. They didn't knit their own flat-screen TV. They bought it from a corporation. They bought it from a store which sells the TV. Store bought it from the corporation and makes the TV. And now they're going to show movies from corporations on the flat-screen TV that was made by a corporation and sold by another corporation. Maybe they're just going to play Michael Moore anti-capitalism documentaries or something. But the funny thing is here, they're squabbling now. They're squabbling over money that was given to them. There's vandalism taking place. Their drums have been destroyed. And, of course, they're whining and crying, and they want everybody else to do something for them. They're squabbling over money that was given to them. Imagine how angry they would be if they had worked for this money. Well, Rush, we know what they would do. Well, not if they had worked for the money, but we know what the BLM co-founder is doing this very moment. Buying up real estate in Malibu and perhaps the Bahamas. Did you hear about that? Black Lives Matter co-founder is buying up million-dollar homes. That's what those finances do when they're not vetted. Remembering Rush here on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. We are back on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network with the talk show host Guy today, formerly known as Congressman Jason Lewis. Glad to have you on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network once again. 1-800-282-2882. We'll try to squeeze in a call or two as we move on. Busy news day with the riots rearing their ugly head in Minneapolis and St. Paul after a suspected gang member was shot. We'll see how the facts play out. Unfortunately, politicians in Minnesota of the Democrat ilk do not want to wait for the facts has the governor, remember, this is the same governor in Minnesota that exported riots across the country. When the governor of Minnesota decided, in his words, quote, not to engage the riots of 2020, that meant letting the streets burn, letting the police third precinct be taken over by looters and rioters and criminals, letting literally $500 million and 1,500 buildings burn and be looted, when that governor backed by Amy Klobuchar, backed by Tina Smith, backed by Ilan Omar, backed by Angie Craig, Dean Phillips, Keith Ellison, every Democrat in this state said, go ahead and riot. When they did that, it was coming to a town near you. That's what Minnesota was known for in 20, not the land of 10,000 lakes, the land of 10,000 riots, and they're back at it again, and the rush to judgment is there. If we had a media that gave a damn about the truth, and was not gaslighting in favor of Democrats, we would stop this now. 
we would have peace returned. We wouldn't be doubling up on masks and shutting down kids in the closet to the detriment of their mental health while people loot. This has gotten so out of hand. It wasn't that long ago when the Fauci-esque health authorities were talking about, well, we need lockdowns except for rioters. Remember that? Public health researchers from the University of Washington back in 2020 issued a letter, 1,300 uh, 1300 signatures from public health experts, epidemiologists. Well, this is why they call it practicing medicine, folks. Witnessing the continuing demonstrations to ongoing pervasive and lethal institutional racism was justifiable to basically break the lockdown. Now it's Georgia. Now it is Georgia. And the lies continue, the gaslighting continues, and here's what Rush had to say about that in voter ID. Barack Hussein O, the President of the United States, uh, in another soundbite called from the Al Sharpton Show, admitted that voter ID laws do not stop black people from voting. Now, that, that just undercuts one of the primary premises of the Democrat Party. Oh, no, we can't have voter ID laws, but that's racist. That's stacking the decks against black people. You can't have voter ID laws. Black people are not going to get voter IDs because they know that they're just going to be identified so the state can hassle them. You can't do that. That's, that's discrimination or whatever else they say it is. Obama goes on the radio. He says, no, no, voter ID, not that big a deal. Here's what he said. Keep in mind that most of these laws are not preventing the overwhelming majority of folks who don't vote from voting. Most people do have an ID. Most people do have a driver's license. Most people can get to the polls. The bottom line is, if less than half of our folks vote, these laws aren't preventing the other half from not voting. Wait just a minute. You realize people at the upper levels of the Democrat Party, the Debbie Blabbermouth Schultzes of the world, hear this and scratch their heads and say, what is he doing to us? Their whole premise in opposing voter ID laws is that it will prevent minorities from voting. The logic is absurd. There isn't any logic to it, but that doesn't matter. That's what they claim. You have to have an ID for anything else. The idea that you'd have to show one to vote, it's just absurd. And the logic has always been, this intimidates African Americans because of our heritage, because of the history. We blacks have been treated in this country demanding that they show an ID. Uh-uh. Non-starter. It will harm turnout. And here's Obama saying, no, it won't. Not sure I understand what he's doing here. Look, the real reason that Democrats don't want voter ID law is so they can cheat. I mean, it's no more complicated than that. He's right. Everybody has an ID anyway. Most people have a driver's license. Most people have some kind of an ID, cash check, use a credit card, what have you. He says, this is not stopping our people from voting. So he's trying to get voters. He's, he doesn't want him relying on excuses. He's trying to gin up voter turnout here. And he says, don't fall back on his voter ID. This is excuse. It's not a reason to keep you from voting. But it is very limiting if your objective is voter fraud. Did you note in this last soundbite I played of Barack Hussein O., when he's talking to Sharpton, he says, now keep in mind that most of these laws are not preventing the overwhelming majority of folks 
who don't vote from voting. The voter ID law is not why they aren't voting. Do you realize what a huge rug he's just pulled out from under the Democrat Party? Now, I know it's not going to have any lifespan. Nobody's going to react to it. The Democrats are not going to change anything. But for people who pay attention, the president has just undermined a very serious Democrat Party platform plank, anti-voter ID. He's just said it doesn't matter. You know, if it doesn't matter, as Rush correctly just put it, then why did Apple, Delta, Coca-Cola, Major League Baseball, and every other CEO of every other Fortune 500 company in America, the corporate state, why are they boycotting Georgia? Joe Biden wasn't engaged in misinformation as incoherent as the president sadly might be. He lied. The talking points that Kamala gave Joe, no water being provided for voters in line under the Georgia law, the polls closing at 5 p.m., it's Jim Eagle or Jim Crow or whatever, uh, were total fabrications, total lies. And yet corporate America got right in line. Just the way that so many businesses affiliated with the Minnesota Business Partnership here in Minnesota back BLM. Corporate America has the spine of a jellyfish. It's high time Republicans just stop. Stop placating these people. They've already found a party to carry their water, and it's the Democrat Socialist Party, and let them wallow in it. I am Jason Lewis. We are Remembering Rush on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Always a pleasure to be here. We've got much more coming up as we remember America's real anchorman on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. As always, great to be back behind the golden EIB mic on the Rush Limbaugh program. I am Jason Lewis, the former member of Congress, but I wanted a promotion, so I'm now back in, guiding you through another Rush Limbaugh program. You know, this whole thing in the Twin Cities and throughout the country is Orwellian in the sense that it's designed to intimidate. Now, in in, in Minneapolis and Portland and Seattle and across the country, they're trying to intimidate cops. Um, And that is the goal, but it's not going to stop there. The reaction to January 6th was trying to intimidate Trump supporters or anybody that Democrats and and the media didn't like. Um, If you compare what happened on January 6th to to the riots of 2020, there simply is no comparison. Many more federal buildings were destroyed uh, in in the riots of last summer than on January 6th. And yet the reaction, using the intelligence agencies, using the DOJ, using everything, but they won't investigate Antifa or BLM for their connections, at least not that we know of. So the point is, there is there is a move in this country towards mob rule. We allow the lawless to roam, roam the streets while we lock down the law-abiding. And nothing in my lifetime, nothing in my lifetime has come close to aiding and abetting the power of the state, of government, than the so-called coronavirus, COVID, you know, the one that was hatched from a Wuhan lab, that one. We don't want to say that because there's just too many of these big Fortune 500 companies that have to do business with China. Major League Baseball does business with China. The NBA, they can't, we, we don't want to talk about that. So what we do is we lock people down and we leave China off the hook, where the Olympics will no doubtedly be held with the help of American America's corporate titans who are protesting Georgia and boycotting Georgia. 
The perversity of this is very, very, very scary. But it's been such a gift horse to Democrats. They've been able to change election law. They've been able to lock down their enemies. The Keith Ellison here in Minnesota fined a rodeo while the riots were going on for violating COVID restrictions. Dr. Fauci's talking about booster shots and double mask wearing as though that's going to do a damn thing, the latter anyway. This is the health of the state. It used to be that war is the health of the state. The war on the virus is now the health of the state. Nothing, nothing could be a greater attribute to accumulating power than scaring the population. H.L. Mencken used to say that all the time, the hobgoblins of government. You scare people, they will do anything you want, and people are scared. They're intimidated by the state. Now, of course, we're destroying young people. Uh, We are infecting the elderly in nursing homes while we're locking down the healthy and destroying those young people. But pay no attention to that from Governor Walls, from Governor Cuomo, from you name it, from Governor Newsom. And then they violate their own restrictions. Pay no attention to that. This is about power and doing anything, anything to get power. That's why Nancy Pelosi said she doesn't want the COVID hysteria to end. Take audio three. If you listen very closely to what he said, we're at a place where we will begin to see. We will begin to see. And then he also cautions against a, a surge in the virus. If we're going to grow the economy with confidence... We've got to crush the virus. They are definitely related. (laughs) Crush the virus. Understand, friends, we have never, ever in our history handled a public health situation like this. Not the Spanish flu. Eisenhower had a horrible flu season in, in 57. By the way, by the way, friends, if you want to know why no one trusts the so called public health experts, A, they were wrong. Come to Chinatown. Don't worry about a mask. We don't need any uh, bans on travel. Then it was a 180. Oh, my God, the world is ending. They've been wrong everywhere they've been. But, but in 2019 and 2020, there were 38 million cases of the flu. 38 million. (laughs) Do you know how many flu cases that no one has been able to explain adequately there have been this year? Do you have any idea? Try 1,822. 1,820. 38 million last winter, this la- or the previous winter, this winter, 1,800 cases. What the hell? Are you? Who are you kidding? You wonder why people... Are, are, are reluctant to, to latch on to your vaccine passport, please. No, I'm not against vaccines. But, in fact, I think we're getting close to herd immunity, which is why Pelosi, of course, is wrong. We can open up tomorrow, but they don't want to do that because it destroys the stimulus package. It destroys infrastructure. By the way, have you talked to your friend infrastructure lately? Great person. Infrastructure could be anything you want it to be. It destroys it all. So this has been... They've been able to circumvent election laws, and too bad the Supreme Court didn't bother to enforce the Constitution because it was a violation of the Constitution. Only state legislatures may change election laws. There's no pandemic exception to the Bill of Rights, to the Constitution, and yet they did it. Hey, great work if you can find it. This is what we're in. A Kafkaesque, dystopian, Orwellian, not 1984, 2021. And this is why Rush figured out 
that we may have already cured the flu. Q Audio 4. I was talking about the flu earlier. I think that it's worth noting here that we may have cured it. We may have cured the flu. Well, let me explain what I mean. We've gone from 7,703 positive flu tests to 36 flu tests, either one or two years. That sounds like a cure to me. Why do you think that is? What could be possibly be the explanation for this? Have you heard of a new flu vaccine? Have you seen people lining up to get their flu shots and vaccines in record numbers? Have you, se- have you seen any news reports about the new successful treatment for the flu? Look, there's no greater student of quote-unquote the news than I am. Even when there isn't any news anymore, I know where to go to find the news. And I'm telling you, until the CDC announced this, I hadn't seen anything like it. There's even a little little blurb here. CDC reports record low positive flu tests. As coronavirus cases surge nationwide, the flu has seen a remarkable dip. Reported cases of influenza reached record lows. It's in the Washington Examiner. It's a miracle. We've cured the infections called the flu. They've been plaguing mankind for hundreds of years. Did COVID do it? Maybe so. Maybe so. Or maybe not. I mean, as Rush points out sarcastically, who in their right mind believes that the COVID restrictions have taken flu cases from 38 million 38 million. It's been as high as 60 million in many, many seasons past, which 68 was a horrible year. H1N1 in 2009. We never shut down the economy. We never took away people's civil liberties. We never changed election law. We never let the lawless run the streets while you were locked in your home or nursing home and infected with it. But we've never done that before. And we've never had flu cases go from 38 million to 1,800. And yet they have no explanation except, oh, it must have been Dr. Fauci's mask. That was it. Who believes this crap? This is why no one believes the experts, no one believes the media, nor should they. You know, friends, cell phone service uh, doesn't have to be expensive. Rush's sponsor, Pure Talk, has certainly proven that. Rush spoke about their $30 a month plan for your phone. Unlimited talk, text, six gigs of data every single month. That's more than most people need for just 30 bucks a month. Here's how Rush explained it to us. Hey, folks, there's one sure bet that you can make this year, and that is you're going to use your cell phone more than you did last year. That translates to bigger cell phone bills. You're going to be paying more for it, unless you are proactive and do something about that. This is why so many people in this audience are switching their cell phone service from one of the big providers to Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers you unlimited talk, unlimited text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't charge you if you go over your six gigs of data. Now, you compare that monthly price, 30 bucks a month, to your current cell phone bill. Just compare it. Your current cell phone bill, I mean, I would, I'd say make a guess, but 75 80 bucks, depending on how many lines and phones you have. Don't know what it is, but 30 bucks a month. For unlimited talk, unlimited text, six gigs of data. Now, here's the real icing on the cake. Pure Talk 
uses the same cell phone towers as one of the biggest cell phone service providers in America. They focus on providing great service and support with every Pure Talk employee located in the U.S. From your cell phone, do this. Dial pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Get started. You'll save 50% off your first month. That's pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Just pick up your phone right now. Pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Guess what? Somebody from there will answer and you're off and running. Okay, we are back with more of the Rush Limbaugh program right after this gang. Stick around. This is the talk show host formerly known as Congressman Jason Lewis guiding you today on the Rush Limbaugh program, America's real anchorman right here every day. Same bat channel, same bat station. It is good to have you here, my friends. But I'll tell you, the intimidation goes on unabated. We are quickly moving from a a republic, which is nothing more than a filtered majority. A filtered majority refined with representation and constrained by the separation of powers. That's pretty fancy lingo for a guy that used to be in Congress, but here's what it means. We want a majority to rule. You don't want a minority. That's a monarchy. But you don't want a mob to rule. So you put checks and balances in the way of the majority until they climb over each and every one to make certain we have a consensus and we actually actually all agree that this is good power. Make it tough for the government to act. That's the essence of a republicanism, small r. What are the Democrats doing? They're tearing down every single check to government power to the mob. They're encouraging the mob in Minnesota. They're taking away, or they want to threaten to pack the Supreme Court with this commission. They're undoing the filibuster for crying out loud. Rush explained the nuclear option not that long ago, audio number five. Maybe I should take time to explain and define what the nuclear option is. It gets thrown around. Before Harry Reid invoked the nuclear option, the rule is in the Senate, you needed 60 votes to do anything. That rule goes back a long... It's not an original Senate rule. It was added to the Senate after the founding of the country, but it's been around for decades. It's been accepted by both parties. The Senate, compared to the House, is where things are supposed to slow down. By design, founding father design, the the founding fathers were hell-bent to stop government action. The Constitution limited government. And that's why people like Obama and Democrats call it a charter of negative liberties because it limits government. It's an anti-government, pro-citizen document. And the founders wanted to make it hard. Gridlock was part of the design. The founders wanted to make it hard for laws to be passed. They wanted to make it hard for there to be restrictions on the freedom of the people. The House was set up as the direct representatives of the people, not direct democracy, but many more of them per district and in toto. They serve for two-year terms. The Senate was the equivalent of an aristocracy at the beginning. Senators were not even elected. They were appointed in the early days, then that changed and senators did become elected. But the Senate is designed to slow down out-of-control madcap activity elsewhere in the legislative branch, i.e. in the House. And the 60-vote rule was part of that. You have 100 senators, but for anything to happen, you need 60, which makes it really hard for anything to happen. 
Well, the Democrats under Obama never had 60 votes. For cabinet nominees, you need 60. For judicial nominees, you need 60 until Harry Reid came along in 2013 and blew up the 60-vote rule. And this is called the nuclear option. And Harry Reid decreed, because he ran the Senate, Senate Majority Leader, he ran it, and he was able to ramrod rules changes through. So beginning in 2013, 60 votes were no longer needed to affirm presidential appointments, nominations, or judges for every court except the Supreme Court. All you needed was 51 votes. At any rate, look, I just wanted to get that explained. So when you hear nuclear option, no question what it is now. Now, Rush, of course, is right again. He explained the difference there between majority rule and mob rule. So now we've got no filibuster for judges, including the Supreme Court. There's one left, legislation. That's what the Democrats want to undo so then they can then pass the, or pack, I should say, the Supreme Court, and those checks and balances will be a thing of the past for the mob. 1-800-282-2882. Let's squeeze in a quick call right after this. And the Democrat media intimidation continues. They've got corporate America on their side now as they threaten to pack the Supreme Court. That's what this commission is all about. We'll get to that in the monologue with Rush next hour. But right now, let's squeeze in Steve in Toledo, Ohio. You're on EIB. You know, we're going into democratic despotism, you know, with their narrowly defined defined worldview. If you think about it, they've been breaking the law for a long time. They have a revolving door of people that they put in. They might leave office. They might not do a full term. Then they shoot their other people in. They're taking advantage this is what Donald Trump called the swamp. Absolutely. And That's exactly what Trump was talking about. And they're taking it. Wouldn't you agree that they're taking advantage of, you know, the poor, the uneducated? They're taking advantage of um, the black people. They're taking advantage of middle class Americans. And one of the things we're not hearing is that if the police stop you and they say, sir, madam, exit your vehicle, you're supposed to do what they say. They're doing it for a reason. Now, if you have nothing to hide, wouldn't you agree that you can just get out of your car and you can trust that the officer is going to do their job? Well, you've got to have due process rights, um, but we have to wait and see if those due process rights were violated. There is no wait and see anymore. It is a rush to judgment for political expediency. They are using uh, the police in order to gain power. And let me tell you something. What they're trying to do is make certain that the police do not engage in a chase if someone flees or if someone resists arrest. And then when they don't engage in the chase and crime skyrockets in north and south Minneapolis, as it's done, then they blame the police. This has nothing to do with social justice. It has nothing to do with income inequality. If they were concerned about income inequality, they would actually educate our inner city youth and let them have school choice. They don't give a damn. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. 
You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Today, more than ever, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. And who has the time? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and reviews your medical claims as they come in from your healthcare providers. Then HealthLock's technology flags and alerts you to any errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and frauds to help you and your family save. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from selected past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save more than $130 million. Saving on medical bills starts with knowing where to look, and HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Pure Talk, the cell phone company we both rely on, is further investing in their customers without charging an extra penny. Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in more than 50 countries, too. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. You keep your phone number and your phone unless you want to get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Up to you. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer. Hour two of the Rush Limbaugh program up and running for a Monday. I am the talk show host formerly known as Congressman Jason Lewis. Glad to be guiding you through America's real anchorman. 1-800-282-2882. Thanks for the call last hour. We'll try to squeeze in one or two more as we move on through all the news of the day. More riots in the Twin Cities. Look out if the trial doesn't come out as well as the mob wants the trial to come out, regardless of what the jury hears. Uh, we shall be waiting with bated breath on that here in Minnesota. Uh, let me tell you something. Um, Sinclair Lewis, of all people, the dyed-in-the-wool left-wing journalist from Minnesota, said, to understand America, you need to understand Minnesota. And if you think about that, what's happened in Minnesota, the rural-urban divide, all of rural Minnesota is red. All of the Twin Cities is not only blue, it's radical Antifa blue. As these people create these hell holes in the inner cities, the liberals move to the suburbs and they become blue. But the conservatives leapfrog out of the entire metro area. And they go back where they can control their destiny. And that is what's happening in, in Colorado, in Washington, in Oregon, you name it, everywhere. And it's by design. 
Why do you think they want to get rid of the Electoral College? It lessens the rural vote by making small populations less important. That was another check on the mob. And that's what our theme has been today. You've got to understand the difference between majority rule and mob rule. That's why Franklin supposedly said a republic if you can keep it. There is actually great controversy as to whether that went down, but regardless, it's a good line. (laughs) You know, if you think about Section 4, Article 1, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. Article 2, each state shall appoint in in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct the number of electors. Now, what would happen, you suppose, my friends, if H.R. 1, which seeks to federalize elections, this is the, the, the campaign or the, the, the federalizing of elections thanks to COVID, no deadlines, all mail-in, universal mail-ins, no voter ID, would ban voter ID effectively, what would happen if the Supreme Court said, uh, gang, we finally have to rule on this, our back's against the wall. We don't like to do it. After all, we are the Roberts Court. <laughs> we don't like to do it, but we finally got to rule on this, and you can't do this. Why, why, why the Democrats would then turn on the court? The Democrats might even unleash the mob on the court the way Chucky e. Schumer did. The threats are going unabated. Literally, we've got one party in America that thinks they can threaten their opponents. Whether it's false Russian conspiracies, whether it's a corrupt intelligence bureaucracy and a corrupt DOJ, whether it's going after people who trespass and call them insurrectionists while letting rioters run free. Letting the governor of Minnesota talk about yet another black life taken when, in fact, we don't know the circumstances. They're doing it deliberately, and now they're going after the court. But what the problem is, they've got history, not on their side, especially with this president, but on the other side. It wasn't that long ago we found out that Biden actually opposed undoing the filibuster. And if you remember Audio 6, he didn't like packing the Supreme Court either. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. And it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress, in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Now, that's exactly right showing that even a blind squirrel can find an acorn once in a while, Biden was right. And he, he basically said the court is counter-majoritarian. The court is not supreme. Jefferson was right about judicial review. It has to be limited just like anything else. And Congress can limit it by impeaching judges. They can remove appellate jurisdiction. But nevertheless, the court's independence is what's being threatened. They are now doing to the court what they've been doing to cops, intimidating it. And that's why Rush, when he talked about the threats to the Supreme Court, was, as usual, spot on. Let me read a headline. You'll see how this affects you. Fox News headline, Senate Democrats deliver stunning warning to Supreme Court. Heal or face restructuring. Several high-profile Senate Democrats 
threatened the Supreme Court in pointed terms this week that it could face a fundamental restructuring if justices do not take steps to heal the court in the near future. Now, you're probably saying, what the hell is that about? What the hell did the Supreme Court do to tick these people off? Well, A, Clarence Thomas is there. Kavanaugh is there. Alito is there. There's a bunch of conservatives on the court. The ominous and unusual threats were delivered as part of a brief filed Monday in a case related to New York City gun laws. Senators Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat Rhode Island, Richard Blumenthal, that'd be Hanoi Dick, Danang Dick, whatever, Democrat Connecticut, Maisie Hirono, the man-hater from Hawaii, Dick Turbin from Illinois, and the pretty white girl, Kirsten Gillibrand, who looks to me like she just stepped out of a giant bag of flour, referenced rulings by the court's conservative majority in claiming it is suffering from some sort of affliction which has to be remedied. The brief that these Democrat senators filed said the Supreme Court is not well and the people know it. And they're threatening if the Supreme Court doesn't stop this, if the Supreme Court doesn't start ruling the way the Democrat Party wants, then they're going to maybe start engaging in packing the court again when they get the White House back. They are threatening to expand the number of seats on the Supreme Court, have an ex-Democrat president loaded up with Democrats to fix this if the court doesn't change its ways. Now, Congress established... Not the judiciary, but Congress set it up. The Constitution establishes the judiciary as a branch, but Congress decides what the districts are, how many there are, uh, where the courts, the federal courts in these districts are. You've heard the First Circuit, the Second Circuit, or the D.C. Circuit, Second Circuit, Ninth Circuit. Congress sets this up. Congress can, if they have the votes legislatively, can change the makeup of the court system however they want. What this, this is not that. This is an out-and-out threat to the way various justices are deciding cases. And these Democrats are basically telling conservative justices, you guys, if you don't stop this, if you don't change the way you're ruling on this, this is not what they're saying, but it's essentially what they're saying, the same thing as then we're going to get hold of this court next time the Democrats in the White House. We're going to expand this court to 12 seats or 15, and it's going to be nothing but Democrats on it in new seats. Dramatic changes to the Supreme Court have been proposed by several Democrats vying for their party's 2020 presidential nomination. Supreme Court's not well, and people know it. All this is, folks, it's actually, in one sense, a good sign. The Democrats are realizing that Donald Trump's going to get the next appointment. There will be probably a sixth conservative justice on the court before Trump leaves office, minimum. And that totally takes a key weapon out of the Democrat arsenal. Their insurance against losing elections has always been to control the judiciary. They put liberal activists on the courts as judges, and they basically make law while ostensibly ruling on cases before them. And this is how they insure themselves against losing elections while they're not going to lose the power to establish the culture and the law 
even if they don't have the power of the White House and Congress behind them. And since the court is decidedly now tilted to the right and looks like it could be even more tilted to the right before Trump leaves office, they are now attempting to intimidate. Nothing's going to come of it. It's just a threat that I wouldn't be surprised if the next time a Democrat's in the White House, they do try to expand the court and pack it. You know, uh, President Trump did get the next appointment, Amy Coney Barrett. And think about where we would be on religious worship, on First Amendment, on free speech, on the Second Amendment. They're going after that on searches and seizures, thanks to the uh, false Russian conspiracy hoax and what the FISA court, which I voted against, by the way, in Congress. Proud to say that. Where we would be without Barrett. We'll talk a little bit about that coming up. But understand a little history here. The FDR attempt to pack the court worked. It was the switch in time that saved nine. And this is what the Democrats want to do. They they may not ever pack the court. I actually don't think they will. But they are threatening the judges. Just like they're threatening Breyer to step down. And the goal, just as in the New Deal era, was when they were striking down New Deal legislation because it was beyond, as it was, the enumerated powers of the Constitution, I think it was the Schlechter uh, meatpacking house, if I recall. It was the Schlechter case anyway. When they struck those down, that's when FDR threatened to pack the court to intimidate them. And lo and behold, the next few decisions, Darby and a few others, Wickard, why it was the switch in time, West Coast Hotel, the switch in time that they acquiesced. Now, don't think for a moment that would work on a guy like John Roberts. Would it? I'm Jason Lewis, your guide today on the Rush Limbaugh program. We continue with the Rush Limbaugh program here on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Jason, infrastructure, Lewis. Remember, infrastructure can be anything you want it to be. So you walk into the coffee shop, just tell them, I'd like an infrastructure today. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Just ask Christian Gillibrand. Anything. We'll talk about that a little later. Uh, Infrastructure, obviously, is a ruse to increase spending. But it's not like we've got a debt problem. You know what our deficit was from last October to this February? A trillion dollars. Where the hell are the bond vigilantes when we need them? Actually, we're starting to see that as the 10-year rate is creeping towards uh, 2%. And if that goes south, look out, folks. We are playing with fire, and MMT won't get us out of it. Now, first of all, though, the single biggest fire out of control is this assault on the republic otherwise known as a filtered majority, otherwise known as three branches of government, otherwise known as checks and balances, otherwise known as limits on the state. And the court is next in the crosshairs. It started with Chuck Schumer, the loudmouth from New York, who threatened the court, threatened Kavanaugh, threatened all of them. CNN didn't seem to catch that. They were busy, they were busy going after the Comington High School kids. Oh, yeah, they got sued over that. These people, they, they lie with impunity. This is, this is really the gaslighting we face today. And this is why a media that is basically not a watchdog of government, but a mouthpiece for government is so dangerous. Where would the country be without Donald Trump's Supreme Court appointments? Well, you wouldn't have a whole lot of rights that right now we have that are in jeopardy. Uh, Audio cut number eight. Here's Rush on the impact of Amy Coney Barrett. They can't believe, they can't believe that this court's now 6'3 conservative. They can't believe that Justice Roberts 
has been uh, eliminated now as the power behind the court to fix things. It's 6-3 conservatives now with Amy Coney Barrett. So their only reaction, they're going to pack the court. They're going to get rid of her influence. They're going to negate her confirmation if they win the presidency by packing the court. Minimum 13 justices on the Supreme Court. They won't admit it, but they've been caught flat-footed saying it. When asked about his plans to pack the Supreme Court, Biden said voters don't deserve to know what his plans are. And that's because Joe Biden believes that half of America's voters are a bunch of chumps with microphones. Bitter, clinging, deplorable chunks with microphones. Who in their right mind could vote for these people? And asking myself, who in their right mind could vote for these people? It boggles the mind to me. Now, the Democrats are fit to be tied. You have Nanang Dick Blumenthal from Connecticut who was threatening, I don't know what, to Amy Coney Barrett, saying there will be consequences. There will be consequences when you break the rules. There will be consequences when you lie to us. There will be consequences. I don't know what he's talking about, but he was threatening her. Chris Coons, who was uh, Biden's replacement in Delaware, the senator, short little bald-headed guy, was on PMSNBC yesterday, told Rachel Maddow there should be a wide-open conversation on rebalancing the courts including the circuit and district courts, where there are hundreds of judges, ready for this, who should not be allowed to sit peaceably without our re-examining the process, the results, and the consequences. What does that mean? It means that little Chris Coons wants to pack the Supreme Court and the district courts in order to punish the Republicans for getting so many lower court nominees confirmed. And this guy, supposedly a moderate. Do you know, by the way, that there aren't any openings on the circuit court that Trump has filled them all? It is amazing. Trump has confirmed over 300 judges in total in three years. This has reshaped the American judiciary unlike it has ever been reshaped before. And the Democrats know it, and they are fit to be tied. There's nothing they could do to stop it. The nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, her confirmation and her swearing in is one of the greatest things that's ever happened to the Supreme Court, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to rule of law. It's one of the greatest things that's ever happened to separation of powers. And I'm going to tell you, her speech last night, I believe, as much as anyone was targeting the Chief Justice, who has been so far outside the bounds in his recent rulings, I think we'll never know, but I think she had him in mind. In fact, I think Nina Totenberg, uh, last night on Fredo Primetime, has the same fear. Fredo said, what could a Judge Barrett mean to jurisprudence going forward? You're about to look at a court that is more conservative than any court has been in 80 or 90 years, dating back to the 1930s. And what that means is that there's going to be a six to three majority. It also means that Chief Justice Roberts, who is, I think it's fair to say, painfully aware of the danger to the court's If the Supreme Court is viewed as just a partisan institution, if it means that he no longer has the kind of control he had in the last term when he was the fifth vote. Well, that's exactly what it means. 
And here's Victor Davis Hanson with his take on that very assessment. I think it really diminishes the Hamlet to be or not to be role of Justice Roberts because he's going to be less relevant than he was in the past with the addition of Justice Barrett. It really tells the Republicans that they can make great appointments like Clarence Thomas and Justice Barrett and they don't have to highlight uh, race, class and gender, that these are incidental, they're not essential, merit is what counts. This is such an important point that I want to try to emphasize this because what what Victor Davis Hanson's pointing out here is Clarence Thomas, a great judge, a great mind. It doesn't matter that he's black. It doesn't matter where he grew up. It doesn't matter he's African-American. None of that matters. It means he's a brilliant jurist. Justice Barrett, same thing. Didn't have to be chosen because of race or class or her gender. To us, to us Republicans, those are incidental things. They are not defining things. The defining things about Thomas and Barrett are their minds and their personalities, their character and who they are. Not their gender, not their race, not their sexual orientation or preference. Well said, Rush, and what it really means as well is the court has its construed right now means your First Amendment, your Second Amendment, your Fourth Amendment, your Fifth Amendment right to property, your right to a trial by jury are secure for now. Which is why the Democrats feel so threatened. They don't seem to support any of that. Remember when Justice Roberts himself said, The best way to stop discriminating by race is to stop discriminating by race. That means preferences and quotas will not hold up in this court, no matter what your university says as they discriminate against Asian Americans or United Airlines putting quotas for pilots. None of that passes muster right now, which is why the Democrats are hell-bent on changing and packing the court. Beware. All right, great to be back in the Attila the Hun chair at the Limbaugh Institute for Advanced Conservative Studies. I am Jason Lewis. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we've been having some fun about the Kirsten Gillibrand's infrastructure as daycare, infrastructure as caregiving, infrastructure as anything I want to be. But she wasn't the only one who's making excuses for this massive, massive budget-busting trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. I mean, for heaven's sake, do you know how much we've spent on COVID relief already? trillion. Now, don't get me wrong. There's an argument to be made if the government is going to shut down your business, they ought to make you whole. But the real answer is not to shut down your business. Instead, it was an excuse to spend $5.7 trillion on extraneous items. Now, they move on to infrastructure, and it's another couple of trillion, none of which has anything to do with infrastructure, which is why the Democrats are running around saying, Infrastructure is anything you want it to be. Listen to Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. She's destroyed Michigan. Now she wants to destroy the country. What is infrastructure? Historically, it's been what makes the economy move. What is it that we all need to ensure that we as citizens are productive? Infrastructure evolves to meet the American people's aspirations. And it's not static. We don't want to use past definitions of infrastructure when we are moving into the future. And by the way, when other countries are investing significantly in their infrastructure to overcome us. What a crock. What a crock. Infrastructure is moving people and things, period. Ports, 
dams, highways, airports. Everybody knows that. And yet, if you break down Biden's infrastructure plan, the Gillibrand Granholm plan, why, there's money for public schools. $100 billion. Child care access. The National Science Foundation. Affordable housing. Clean energy. Electric vehicles and public transit, both of which will drain the highway trust fund. Your trust fund is funded by you, the automobile driver, 23.4 cents a gallon. Guess how much electric vehicles pay into that? Zip, zero, nada. No, if you want to buy an electric vehicle, I don't care, but we shouldn't be subsidizing your purchase every time you do so to the tune of $7,500. We should be making you pay when you charge your electric vehicle, just like gas users pay. And when you subsidize $100 million per mile light rail lines that do nothing for productivity, they don't pay anything into the highway trust fund either. That's why it's broke. And that's why Chris Christie had a pretty good line yesterday. Play cut 10. Here's what's not popular. Lying is not popular. It's not infrastructure, George. If Donald Trump had come out and called a dog a cat, which is what Joe Biden's doing, we would be outraged by the fact that he's lying. But with Joe Biden, somehow it's like, oh, well, come on, it's Joe. No, 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 no. It's not true. He doesn't know he's lying, Chris. That's the problem. Kamala knows it, but Joe doesn't know it. Rush talked about this not long ago, and here's what El Rushbo had to say. Well, let's compare the two stimuli. The Obama stimulus, otherwise known as the porculus bill, was never going to be spent on the claims Obama made, rebuilding roads and bridges and schools. Everybody knew on the Republican side because they know who Obama was and is. Obama is a big government liberal, and when big government liberals spend big government money, it's usually spent on welfare or similar type things. In the case of Obama's stimulus, most of it went to union groups, state by state by state. There weren't any new roads built, other than those already scheduled to be repaired and built. There weren't any new school repairs, and there there weren't any bridges. None of the things that Obama got the money for actually happened. But Trump has been very specific about what he wants to use this money for. He wants to rebuild roads, bridges, and he makes a point of airports. And he talks about how dilapidated they are compared to other modernized airports in other places around the world. And I think all this reflects is a realization on the part of the American people. The American people, many of them, and particularly on the Republican side, think the country is falling apart in a whole bunch of different ways. We're falling apart culturally. We are falling apart in our politics. We're falling apart politically. And I believe it's nothing more complicated than people actually do think that we need to modernize some things in this country. And I believe that if you would deeply ask these people, if you could find these people that make up the people saying 90% say agree with the premise, you would find that the vast majority of them think that this is a legitimate responsibility for government, state and federal combined, 
to make sure that the airports are modernized and not falling apart, to make sure bridges are not going to collapse down the road, to make sure dams are okay. This is this is the stuff that people assume government does anyway. That's government's responsibility, state and local. It's not something I mean, the private sector gets hired to do these projects. That's another aspect of this. You're going to spend a trillion dollars, but who's going to get it? It's going to go to jobs. It's going to go to contractors. It's going to go to people who get hired to build and rebuild and refurbish these various projects. I think people trust Trump on this. This money is literally going to end up in the economy. It's going to end up as commerce. It's going to create jobs. It's going to have demonstrable upside results. I think it's just a simple matter of trusting Trump when he says this is what he's going to do. Plus, he's a builder. And they look at Trump properties. They see the buildings and other things that Trump has built, and they are all modern, and they're all state-of-the-art, and they all look cool. And this is what Trump's expertise is. And I think people agree with Trump when he runs around complaining about the state of infrastructure in this country. You know, I'm so glad Rush brought that up. I served on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee in the 115th Congress. We were pushing, we were trying to mark up the Trump infrastructure bill. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you the exact difference. It couldn't be more stark. Uh, Rush hinted at this, uh, and I'm going to try to fill in the gaps here, because one infrastructure bill, which much less costly, I'll tell you how we did it, increased productivity. The other one redistributes wealth. It really is simple as that. Hey, have you gathered your old home movies and family videos and digitized them yet so you can watch them again and again and again? Look, there's a million families that have done this, and now you need to do it too. With the help of a company Rush talked about quite a bit, Legacy Box. Here's just one example of his reviews of how well Legacy Box works. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of us are spending more time at home right many people are at home right now a lot of people are able to take on a project that otherwise would go wanting you could do that you could find every old family video family film all those great pictures family get-togethers from long ago that you've had stored for years and years and years and never seen them because the formats are not viable you don't have betamax anymore you don't have vhs So assemble all that stuff and get it digitally transferred by Legacy Box. Our friends at Legacy Box are ready to help you get this done. They're offering you 50% off the normal price of their service today. Legacy Box has the high-speed gear you need to digitally transfer all that old stuff onto DVD or thumb drive. And they get it back to you in a couple of weeks. What you do, you order the Legacy Box, they send it to you. It's protected so that no damage occurs to your stuff while you're sending it to them. They digitally transfer it. They keep you advised of the process. Two weeks later, they send it back to you. DVD, thumb drive, iCloud download, however you want it. And then you've got it, and you can duplicate it. You can edit it. You can copy it. Give it away uh, to, to other, share it other members of the family. This is how you bring back to life all the old stuff that's been collecting, and you haven't seen it in years. Start the process today. Order one of the specially made legacy boxes that you will use to ship all of that stuff to Legacy Box in Tennessee. And again, in two weeks, you get it all back. All those tapes and all the films, Super 8, High 8, Super whatever, the the 16 millimeter, whatever you've got, VHS, Betamax, they'll transfer it. You'll get the originals back and the digital. 
DVD thumb drive, 50% off at LegacyBox.com slash Rush. Can't do this yourself. 50% off at LegacyBox.com slash Rush. Hey, let me explain when we come back, gang, the difference between the Trump infrastructure bill when I was in Congress and the difference between this $3 trillion monstrosity with earmarks as Biden proposes that and more coming right up. Okay, we are back on the Rush Limbaugh program with the talk show host, formerly known as Congressman Jason Lewis. Now, when I was in the 115th, let me tell you how we handled infrastructure. The president had a $2 trillion plan. Guess how much it would have cost federal taxpayers had the Democrats allowed it to get out of the T&I committee of which I served? 250 to 300 billion bucks. Well, you say? It's called the three Ps, public-private partnership. We were going to do what Australia has done so successfully, and that is leverage private funds to build the infrastructure. Australia used $5 billion from their central government to leverage over $20 billion in private and state investment. And how you do it was actually pretty simple. You say you set up a bonus fund at the federal government level, and you say if you if the state government starts to sell off non-performing public assets to private entities, we will give you a bonus first come, first serve. So you may have a utility. You may have a housing project. You may have a road. You may have a, a small airport. You sell that off to a private entity. It gets on the tax rolls instead of sitting there. They run it better. You take the proceeds from that sale, get a bonus from the federal government at a fraction of the cost, and you use all of that new money on new infrastructure. That's what we were going to do in T&I. That's how Trump could get leverage $250 billion to $2 trillion. And it all was going towards roads and bridges and airport. I shouldn't say all, but most of it. Now, this is going to cost us a net $3 trillion or more when it's all said and done from... Mr. Biden, and then they'll add earmarks, which are back. They weren't back when I was serving. And it's total chaos. It is, as Rush pointed out, the bridge to nowhere. Obama is going to this bridge. I thought Obama had already been to the bridge. It's the bridge that affects both Boehner and McConnell. It links uh, Ohio and Kentucky. And the bridge, there's no trouble. The, the, The bridge does not qualify for anything stimulus-wise. No, it's not falling down. In fact, it doesn't even need any repairs. It's just not big enough anymore to handle a load. They are going to build a second bridge next to it, from what I understand. But it's not going to start for four years. This is pure, 100% political photo op. It is optics. It is Obama's bridge to nowhere. He's going there. He's going to try to tell people that this is an example of the unsafe bridges, just like when he was in North Carolina. He cites 153 structurally deficient or otherwise in bad shape bridges, but he doesn't identify them. He says that four of them are very near where he was, which was uh, near Raleigh, North Carolina. He didn't identify So people's lives apparently were in danger while Obama knew it was doing nothing about it. In the meantime... We had 800-some-odd billion dollars spent on shovel-ready jobs. Fix the infrastructure didn't happen. Instead, it went to places like Solyndra and Light Squared. So he's got a lot of questions to answer. I really want to you know, dwell on what Rush was talking about. When I was on TNI, when Chairman Schuster was running it, it, we had a couple of prerequisites. One, any spending on infrastructure had to increase productivity to pay for itself. 
So if you build a road and you've got more goods being shipped on that road, more people getting to work, hence earning more income, it pays for itself. If you use infrastructure to redistribute wealth to bail out state government, which is exactly what this does, that does not increase productivity. If you use it to fund mass transit, which pays nothing into the highway trust fund, or electric vehicles, it does, or Solyndra, it does nothing to increase productivity. More, more than that, the people who are paying for the highway trust fund are automobile users. That money's being siphoned off for the mass transit account, which is building these massive light rail lines, which are now our modern-day version of bridges to nowhere. What I described a moment ago was something called asset recycling. If you just take a look at the number of federal assets in, let's just say, my home state of Minnesota alone. Right now, the federal government reports, the GSA reports, at least it did a couple of years ago, over 420, excuse me, 4,200 assets totaling 11 million square feet of office or storage space. 1,100 buildings. Doesn't include DOD facilities. Doesn't include other assets. Now you throw in state and local assets, you can sell those off and leverage infrastructure with that new money. They don't want to do that. That's why this is such a joke. Gary in Ohio, you're on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Hi. In my call. You bet. Uh, mega dittos to you, and I appreciate the fact that you're keeping Russia's legacy alive. Good. We do, too. Um, I'm just curious, um, with all the uh, executive orders that uh, Joe Biden is signing for the infrastructure and for all everything mm-hmm. else that he's done, where has there been any pushback from the Republicans? Whenever Trump signed a piece of paper, there was a judge in California or Hawaii or New York yeah. that would file an injunction against him and stop it. What well, happened? Why... No, you're you're right. In these nationwide injunctions, which must be visited by the court, and Clarence Thomas has hinted at this, where you have one district judge striking down a Trump executive order for the entire country, as they did on immigration, over and over again. Not doing it for for Biden so much, so I don't know why the Democrats are so mad at judges. They're doing their handiwork for them. But you've got to get a handle on these nationwide injunctions, which which I think are, are of questionable constitutionality. Uh, You rule for your district, and that's it. But uh, above and beyond the Republican pushback, earmarks is a pretty good example. We had a, when I was when I got to Congress, we had to decide whether we want to reinstate earmarks. I said no. Leadership said no at the time. Now the Democrats reinstate them, so the Republicans go along. You don't you don't win elections by offering the voters an echo. You offer them a choice. More on EIB right after this. You know, the more I think about it, maybe Biden's on to something. After all, part of this infrastructure package is a massive corporate income tax increase. You might have thought that the double Irish was a drink. (laughs) I did, too, until I got to Congress and realized, well, it's not only a drink. It's actually a double. (laughs) But it's also a tax strategy. Companies like, oh, I don't know, Medtronic here in the cities. I think Medtronic uh, switched... What did they do? They they had an operational switch where they did a tax inversion, um, but I can't remember. I think it was Ireland as well. But these companies were doing these tax inversions prior to the Tax Cut and Jobs Act because when they brought their foreign profits home, they were double taxed. We ended that. 
Biden says, let's try to reinstate that. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Today, more than ever, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. And who has the time? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and reviews your medical claims as they come in from your healthcare providers. Then HealthLock's technology flags and alerts you to any errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and frauds to help you and your family save. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from selected past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save more than $130 million. Saving on medical bills starts with knowing where to look, and HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Pure Talk, the cell phone company we both rely on, is further investing in their customers without charging an extra penny. Pure Talk is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. That's right. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless provider has you covered at home and abroad. Pure Talk already puts you on America's most dependable 5G network, but now they're giving you coverage in more than 50 countries, too. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. You keep your phone number and your phone unless you want to get great savings on the latest iPhones and Androids. Up to you. Go to puretalk.com slash buck and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash buck, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can afford to travel this summer. And welcome back. Hour number three underway on the Rush Limbaugh program. I am Jason. Infrastructure is anything you want it to be, Lewis. Uh, your guide today uh, for America's Anchorman, and I could not be more happy. 1-800-282-2882. The number stays the same as we as we move on. Update on the situation here in the Twin Cities, and that is that there was a quick briefing, as I understand, and the officer or a, a tentative reports, early reports say the officer meant to shoot the taser has the person who was held or taken out of his car got back in the car. The suspect, with an outstanding warrant, got back in the car, tried to move, and the officer was trying to apprehend them. And, and so far, one report suggests it was an accidental shooting. We shall see. But I want to make this point 
whether it's George Floyd, whether it's Rodney King, whether it's this particular situation, anything. The antithesis of a criminal, a functioning criminal justice system, is a rush to judgment. I don't know how the verdict's going to come out in George Floyd. I don't know how the verdict's going to come out in this particular situation. All I know is, if you want chaos, you don't rush to judge. And of course, the opposite has happened, and it's being egged on by liberal politicians in Minnesota and the media. So naturally, we've got another set of riots going on in the Twin Cities, soon coming to a town near you. Minnesota's no longer known for Paul Bunyan. Now we export chaos. And it started when Attorney General Ellison, Governor Walls, Senator Smith, Representative Craig, Phillips, you name it, said, you want to riot, go ahead. Our decision is not to engage. And for four days, they let the Twin Cities burn. It's going to happen again until we say there will be no rush to judgment, regardless of the justice or injustice that must be adjudicated by a system. If you want a peaceful society, you will not rush to judge. You will not burn and loot. Stop it. It ends here. They don't want to do that because they want votes. They're afraid, just like corporate America is afraid. You know, I'm going to play a clip here on uh, about what Rush said about Google years ago, but it's not just Google that is leading the charge or Apple and Tim Cook leading the charge on boycotting Georgia or corporate wokeism. It's all of them. It's all of them. I remember talking to one government affairs or PAC director during my Senate race last year. And um, <laughs> they, they, I, I called them and said, well, how about you know a meeting, and I'll tell you why a growing economy with low taxes and, and the rule of law and private property is the best thing for your company, competition. No, we've already contributed to your Democrat opponent. Well, you haven't even met with me. I didn't even announce my can We don't care. We just support incumbent Democrats because that's the safe way to go. You know, corporate America in Minnesota, was way out ahead of everybody else. I don't care whether it's General Mills, where my Senate opponent used to work, or whether it's Ecolab or 3M or Medtronic or you name it. The the businesses, the big public businesses, part of the Minnesota Business Partnership, were all in for BLM. I know personally know of a guy that quit the partnership because of this, but he was, you know, they're few and far between. Corporate America is gone. So when I joke about the double Irish, as I did last hour, the double Irish being if you made a foreign profit in, say, Ireland, and you wanted to repatriate that back to Germany, you're a German company operating in Ireland, Germany didn't tax you twice. You already paid your Irish taxes. But in America, prior to Trump, and what we did in Congress, if you made that money in Ireland, foreign profits, and you brought them home, you were double taxed. You had to make up the difference between our top rate of 35 and whatever the foreign tax was. We were the only country to do that. What we did in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was we lowered that rate to 21 and say bring the profits home. $1.6 trillion came home since. Now Biden wants to undo that with his infrastructure package. Now, the knee-jerk reaction to most conservatives is, hey, you can't do that. But you know what? I'm starting to rethink this. I am done carrying the water for corporate America. After what Delta and Apple and the the, the corrupt Major League Baseball. Here's Major League Baseball running around the country for decades demanding that you taxpayers build their stadiums, which they did in Minnesota and across the country. And then 
And then they decide to lecture you that a voter ID law is somehow racist. How ironic. How ironic. The Masters stands their ground, holds their own, does a wonderful ceremony with Lee Elder, and then an Asian American wins the Masters through merit. Hideki Matsuyama. It's a great Masters, by the way, and that's the way to do it. They didn't back down. Major League Baseball did because they're cowards. They are cowards, and so are their fans, by the way. I hate to say that because many of them listen to the program, but I get so many angry Twitter feeds from quote-unquote sports fans. ESPN and the sports community might as well just be an arm of the Democrat Party. Let's be honest about this. And it's too bad, but it's true. Anyway, Rush's take on groupthink has a gateway to totalitarianism. Hit audio cut 13. What's happening at Google is an example of what's happening on college camp high everywhere. And this demand for diversity and so-called tolerance is actually leading to the destruction of free speech. And the, uh, the guy that got fired at Google is making it very plain how things operated out there. And he's essentially saying the same thing. Just to give you a taste here, the Google employee that wrote the manifesto ended up getting fired is named James Damore. And he spoke with the psychology professor, University of Toronto, Gordon, or Jordan Peterson is his name. And the professor here has a YouTube channel. And so Jordan Damore agreed to be interviewed by Jordan Peterson. And during the interview, uh, Damore, the engineer fired, talked about the reason he wrote the manifesto. I'm not just attacking diversity. I'm just attacking the fact that we can't honestly discuss any of these issues and that that is actually hurting the problem. And you see, they can't discuss, they can't be open about what they think. They have to follow the Google group think or they're going to be canned. They're not allowed to dissent. And yet these are people claiming to be the greatest defenders of uh, First Amendment free speech. These are people claiming to be the bulwark and the saviors and yet, if you don't say what they want to hear or what they agree with, you will be shut down, you'll be shamed, and you'll be fired. This is how it begins, folks. And it's, it's, it's already begun on several college campuses and at many institutions of the left. The way you end up losing freedom of speech is not by the protest march, but actually enforcing no freedom of speech and only tolerating certain speech under the guise of diversity or what have you. That's how it happens. And it is in the process of happening. And you can look at surveys of millennials on college campus. You'll find a shocking percentage of these young people who think that it's perfectly fine that speech be policed so that feelings are not hurt and so that people aren't offended. And they're perfectly fine with it. And that's how it begins. And of course, all of this is happening under a, an umbrella that people think is ultimately good and positive and compassionate. We are preventing people from being hurt. We are preventing people from being offended. These speech codes and this discrimination against certain speech is a good thing. That's how it happens. Always under the guise of goodness do people lose liberty and freedom. That's how it happens. And then after a certain passage of time, that's when the powerful forces of government begin to enforce 
the speech codes with the use of force. But the early stages, it's very seductive and occurs under the cloak of politeness and fairness and decency. All of that. If you're not thinking right about gender diversity and race diversity, they will take you aside and retrain you. So this may sound crazy to a lot of your readers, but college students should understand it's a similar culture. This is not the guy that got fired. This is another employee. They, the people have gone out and talked to Google employees, and they're talking an- anonymously. And, it, folks, it's exactly as uh, I suspected. What's really happening is the erosion of free speech under the guise of promoting it. What's really happening is the erosion of diversity under the guise of promoting it. Freedom is being killed off by virtue of censorship that is designed to be helpful and to prevent people from being hurt or offended. And it's being done purposely. It's seductively, purposely done to get people to willingly sacrifice and concede their liberty and freedom for some so-called common good. It's hideous. It's hideous, and it's happening on college campuses. It's happening at high-tech places like Google. Yeah, it's so true. It's the difference between equity and equality. What the, the new, and by the way, the only difference now is, instead of government being overt about it, like universities are and discriminating against Asians, which they do routinely, and the Supreme Court's going to have to settle that at some point, then again, if Biden packs the court, you will have quotas become the, land, the, the law of the land and the 14th Amendment. Uh, equal protection be damned. But the equity, and that's why they're using that buzzword now, means we get to discriminate until we get the outcome we want. Equality says that people similarly situated shall be treated alike. And that's really the difference now. The only big difference is the corporations are the enforcers of the government policy now. More on EIB when we return. Okay, ever since Georgia tried to move towards honest elections, uh, corporate America has been going nuts over this. Remember, these are the same big businesses that backed and funded BLM, made no mention of Antifa, made billions off of COVID restrictions, censored people on the Internet, support open borders, slave labor abroad. How ironic is it these big businesses demand a minimum wage, Democrats demand a minimum wage, but they don't have any restrictions on employing slave labor in China or anyplace else? Well, sure, that's a great deal. If you, can, if you can farm out your manufacturing facility to a country that's paying people 50 cents a day, why wouldn't you be in favor of a minimum wage here at home? Total fraud by Democrats and their corporate enforcers. I tell you, it's high time Republicans stop carrying the water for big business in corporate America. They'll never get their support. They are enforcers of the welfare state. This is not communism where government owns the means of production, this is corporatism, almost a fascistic example of where corporations do the bidding of government in exchange for, oh, I don't know, stadium subsidies, in exchange for open borders, in exchange for no Section 230 for Apple and, and big tech. That's how, that's how corrupt the swamp is right now, and that's why Trump was such a threat to it all. And why Rush was such a threat to it all. They're just using racism and, and voter ID. And I'm going to tell you where it's going to end. It's going to end with pure legalized quotas. United Airlines has already said they plan 50% of the next 5,000 pilots they train in the next decade to be women or people of color. 
well, obviously they're racist. They forgot about transgender. I clearly think that somebody ought to protest United over that. Delta led the charge. Delta led the charge over boycotting Georgia for a voting law that was less restrictive than Delaware. This is the insanity in which we face, and it's high time that people start looking at these corporations and start looking at their fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder profit, not run a woke seminar. And that means that if you're endorsing carpet footprinting, if you're following the lead of BlackRock or these hedge funds, and you are minimizing your return for your shareholders, instead of maximizing it, it's lawsuit time, baby. That's what it means. And it's long overdue. Because this is insanity. Total insanity. And and the charge of race is just a ruse to keep the swamp going. Here's how Rush put it. Audio 14. This is a tweet. NBC News, Minneapolis City Council Vice President Andrea Jenkins. I'm asking my colleagues to declare a state of emergency, declaring racism as a public health issue. I'm asking my colleagues to declare a state of emergency, declaring racism as a public health issue. Until we name this virus, this disease that has infected America for the past 400 years, we will never, ever resolve the issue. Now, what do you think this babe's doing? This babe is absolving herself of any of her responsibilities as a failed leader by deflecting this off on the country. And what, what is this 400 years business? 400, the United States is not 400 years old, so now they're buying into this New York Times bogus story that the actual founding of America was in 1619 with the first arrival of slave ships. I'm asking my colleagues to declare a state of emergency, declaring racism as a public health issue. Until we name this virus, the disease that has infected America the past 400 years, we will never, ever resolve this issue. So now, racism is a virus. It's a disease. When do we work on the vaccine? What, what, what would the vaccine be? What would the treatment be? This is simply her trying to let herself and her fellow leaders off the hook as having no culpability, no responsibility whatsoever for any of this. And that's exactly right. That's precisely what happened in the summer of riots last year in Minnesota. Uh, where you had leaders like Senator Tina Smith saying that we need to, to continue the righteous protest. That police, they're dangerously wrong with the role police play in society. Something's dangerously wrong. Where a city councilwoman from Minneapolis said it was privileged to call the police. And, of course, they were all backing Kamala Harris's Minnesota Freedom Fund to bail out the rioters and the looters and the criminals because they were using race as a means to keep power. But none of it would go anywhere. None of it would mean anything if it didn't get the imprimatur of the institutional liberalism from churches from nonprofits, from corporations, from the media, from government itself, from big tech who censors the opposition. So we're going we're not moving towards groupthink, we're moving towards thought police. And they know how absurd this garbage is, so they've got to censor people from bringing up the obvious. The obvious being how do you get to equality if you blame people 
for being born with the wrong skin color. And that's exactly what they plan to do with preferences and quotas. That's what United Airlines wants to do. That's what universities do. That's what the goal here is to do. You know, Thomas Sowell, the great economist, wrote a a wonderful book, Migrations and Cultures, in which he wrote, Skills have never been randomly or evenly distributed, but have been highly concentrated, though concentrated in different places in different countries throughout history. What does he mean by that? There has never been a situation ever in the history of any place where the workforce reflects exactly the proportion of the population, be it gender, be it race, ethnicity, you name it, it doesn't matter. And the only way to arrive at that quota is to discriminate. So that is why they're using the term equity and not equality. If you want racial healing, you treat people the same regardless of their background or their race. They have no intention of doing that. They have intention, a clear intention now, of having two standards of justice for depending on where or what your background is, what your skin color is. Again, when Justice Roberts had a little bit more of a backbone in the Seattle busing case, school district case, he said the best way to stop discriminating by race is to stop discriminating by race. Boy, it would be nice to get back to that colorblind society, but these people in the Democrat left, in the media left, in the corporate wokeism left, have zero intention of getting back to unity or a colorblind society. They want more and more tribalism and division. You got it. The Limbaugh Institute for Advanced Conservative Studies rolls on with me, your guide today, and tomorrow, Jason Lewis here on EIB. We will get to a call uh, next break, so hang tight, everybody. We'll get to it at 1-800-282-2882. You know what people are looking for, really, on, on I'm not even going to call it the right, what the forgotten men and women of America who have been left behind and censored and demonized by the cultural liberalism that is this country right now and its corporate and nonprofit enforcers. They're looking for backbone. The left can't figure out why Trump resonated, why Rush resonated. Backbone. They're looking for somebody to stand up and say, no, it's not right to farm out slave labor to China. It really is America first. It's not right to talk about infrastructure and then ban pipelines or ban mining on Minnesota's iron range. It's not right. Democrats do that. They get away with it because the swamp and the media cover for them. The organizations, the union leaders, the Minnesota Farm Bureau, all too often is functioning as an arm of the Democrat Party. You've got people running environmental regulations, and their leaders sell them out. So people are looking for backbone on some of this stuff. And they don't think equality means Representative Angie Craig of Minnesota, my successor, That doesn't mean ruining women's sports, which she's trying to do with the Equality Act by letting biological men compete against women who don't have the endurance and the muscle mass. That is a fact. Ruining, destroying women's athletics. That's the feminist way, Angie. Way to go. It's it's total insanity, but nobody wants to say anything because they'll be demonized. Well, isn't it great that the Masters Golf Tournament, if you're a golfer like Rush was and I am, stood up to this nonsense and said, no, we're not going to follow Major League Baseball. We actually have a spine. 
we're not we're not we're going to do what I mean to re, to move the Masters obviously was just a tad counterintuitive given that it's the Masters because it's in Augusta. But they said we're going to honor Lee Elder, and lo and behold, under the auspices of merit, the first Asian-born champion won a great tournament, Hideki Matsuyama, yesterday. It was a great conversation a few years back when Rush got to talk to his great friend, Mr. Masters, Jim Nance. Here's how that went. Jim, welcome to the EIB Network for the first time. It's really great to have you here. Well, Rush, it's the first time I've talked to you on the air. Of course, we've spoken and emailed for a long time, for years, and off the air visited. This is a thrill to be on the EIB Radio Network. Well, it's uh, it's it's likewise a thrill to have you here. So many great things in this book, uh, Jim, and it's so timely given the uh, the roiled circumstances in our culture. Your book and your life, uh, the relationship with your family, the way you've lived. Uh, provide uh, an example to anybody that that's virtuous uh, and still happens in this country and that it's rewarded. Jim Nance, ladies and gentlemen, dreamed when he was a young boy, like all of us did, of being sportscasters someday. It was more than a dream. It was almost bordering on an obsession. That's a little bit of a strong word, but I had this crazy little idea at the age of 11. I turned to my father watching the Masters Tournament. I declared it right there on the spot. One day, I want to be one of those voices. I want to be there telling the story of that great tournament and all these championships and sporting events around the world. That's what I wanted to do. And you've done it. You became the first broadcaster ever to call the Super Bowl, the Final Four, and the Masters. Well, you know, that was something that no one had ever had the great fortune of being able to declare during the course of a career. And I got to do all those events in two months. It was um, it was very special. One of the things I want to convey to the audience, Jim, is the, you know, and I, I mentioned this in an, in an email to you about what we would do here today. This book is a, is a fantastic thing because you all have watched Jim Nance and you've heard Jim Nance for 23 years in some cases, but you don't know Jim Nance because Jim Nance is the best at what he does. He never makes whatever event he's at about him. He always makes sure that, uh, that, that he brings the event to you. And this book is an opportunity for people to get to know you, Jim, in a, in a, in a personal way. Uh, and I want to tell people, if they ever get a chance to meet you, you are going to be exactly what they hope you would be from having known you on television all of these years. And it's, you know, a lot of people meet uh, pe- people in prominent positions, primarily in media, and they want them to be what they uh, see on TV, here on radio, and oftentimes they're not, but you are. You're, you're just as genuine and, uh, and humble uh, in person as you are on the air. You know, my, my parents are very humble people. My father was always one with a curious mind and wanted me to get broader and wider than just worrying about who was winning a game. He looked at the world of sports with a romance in his eyes. He liked to learn about people who overcame things. He wanted to watch sports to be taken to places and learn about cultures. You know, back in the wide world of sports days when Jim McKay was taking us behind the Iron Curtain or to the Great Wall of China, he loved that. And that's the way, alas, I look at the world of sports. And I'm looking for something with a little more thought. The life lessons. Absolutely. And that's the reason that and people had said, man, you've got so many interesting people you've met in your life. You know, you ought to write a book about some of these events you do. But to me, that's a trip that's an ego trip. I wanted to, I wanted to if I was going to write something, there had to be some important messages that would inspire all people. Well, we'll talk about some of these people that you've met, because you've met everybody in many realms, and they're all your friends. You say I have a lot of friends. I am blessed, and I count you as a very dear friend, and I I treasure all my friendships. My father was like that. I opened my shows by saying, 
hello friends and it's really it's a testament it's a tribute to my father because all he had in his life were friends and you know he treated everyone with such dignity and respect from all stations in life tell us something about tiger woods tell us something about tiger woods we don't know well it, tiger you see the game face you, you know the focus stories about how he's locked in and how he can walk right past a, a guy like jack nicholas uh, the, the very man he wants to, you know, break every record that Jack holds. But he, it's this part of this genius that uh, his his father instilled in him. I one time got him uh, beyond the game face, if you will. He was coming up into my tower to be interviewed. He graciously accepted, and my my daughter Caroline was just five years old at the time, and she was all excited. She was going to meet the great Tiger Woods. And I told Tiger on the way up to the towers, we're climbing the steps. My daughter Caroline's going to be up there. She wants to. She can't wait to meet you, Tiger. So we walk in, and everyone's pointing and like giving me the shh. They're pointing underneath the chair. So oh, I get it. She's playing kind of a hide-and-seek thing here, and she's just nervous, as all kids are, about meeting some superstar celebrity. So Tiger instantly breaks into the you know the game. He 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 drops his voice down to like a childlike cadence, and he's saying, "I thought I was going to see Caroline up here. This is why I came here. Caroline, where are you? Are you over here?" He pushes back some curtains. No, she's not there. Being very theatrical about it, all the while, of course, knowing she's curled up in a ball underneath this one given chair. And I just thought, what a wonderful snapshot. You know, of Tiger Woods, the Tiger we so seldom get to see because everybody in the world's trying to get into that world and trying to get to be a part of his universe. And it was just a lovely, impromptu moment. Jim, you're, you're, you've led a remarkable life. You have a, a one of the most solid foundations that a human being could have. I think it's fabulous that you've written the book to share that with people because it's inspirational. I'm so grateful, Rush, for the time to talk to you, and uh, you're just a great friend. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, Jim Nance represents the era of when sportscasters didn't want to be the story and didn't want to force their way on you. They weren't politicized like they are on ESPN or Jim Gray on Fox. Everything's political now because they think they can be influencers or get more followers on Twitter or whatever. Jim Nance doesn't do that. Nick Faldo doesn't do that. Pat Summerall didn't do that. Uh, the old sportcasters of yesteryear, Frank Gifford and and uh, Kurt Gowdy. Remember Kurt Gowdy? The old AFL sportscatter, Aldi Regattas and Jim Simpson. You can go right down the list. That's what people are looking for in sports, not lectures. And I tell you, except for golf, except for golf, that's what you're getting. And they are going to rue the day because two can play at boycotts. And it's high time we get in the game. But I tell you, that story about Tiger is great as well. Because I remember watching Tiger in one of these pro-ams with his kid not long ago. It was just a couple months back before he got injured. Uh, you can tell what a great dad he is uh, in that story from Jim Nance there. But I, I miss the old days of, of yesteryear, whether you were listening to Kurt Gowdy on NBC or Al Michaels on ABC or Frank Gifford on CBS or Summerall, and Ken Venturi did PGA golf for years, and now it's Nance and Faldo. Wonderful backups or wonderful back-to-back sportscasting teams. That's what makes things enjoyable and escaping life and the travails of life. Now it's all politics. And you know what? That's abusing your platform. I don't think you know what the hell you're talking about, and I don't want to listen to you, even if I thought you did, back after this on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. 
Oh, man, oh, man, I almost forgot my favorite sportscaster of yesteryear. Speaking of sportscasters, the first play-by-play man on Monday Night Football. You all think that's Frank Gifford. Oh, no, au contraire. It was actually, whoa, Nelly, Keith Murrah. <laughs> Remember him? Uh, Keith Jackson. Mr. College Football, Keith Jackson, ABC College Football. Whoa, Nelly. He was great. I'm telling you, he was great. And not an ounce of politics in any of his broadcasts. Imagine that. Sports, you know, I'll tell you something. Sports are getting like late-night comedians. They're becoming a bore of lectures. They're not funny, and it's not entertaining. At some point, they better get they better get get religion before they drive away every last fan. Uh, they need more more people like Jim Nance, as Rush interviewed there momentarily. One eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. That's one eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. You know, last week we started something new here. We're ending every program on what we call the EIB high note. It's a nod to Rush and his eternal eternal belief in the power of ordinary people doing great things. And today's high note is about Good Deeds Day. That was yesterday, April 11th. Started as one woman's idea in Israel in 2007, now spread to 108 countries with millions of people joining together without government telling them what to do to volunteer and do acts of kindness and make great changes in the world. This year's theme was reconnecting with lots of good deeds focused on the elderly, which have been so isolated. To see what different countries did yesterday, including the United States, head over to RushLimbaugh.com. That's RushLimbaugh.com. It is still there right now in Allentown. Stephen, thanks for waiting. You're on the EIB. Yeah, Stephen, go ahead. Doing an admirable job of filling in for Mr. Limbaugh. Thank you, sir. And I hope everything's good in St. Paul. Um, Well, we're doing our best. It is occupied well, territory, you know. Well, thank God it's springtime at least. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? Springtime. Um, for, I think it's going to snow tomorrow. We call that a warming trend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, Rush had the ability to harness common sense, which if you look at Washington, D.C. at all, you understand is in very short supply. You have... You know, President Biden, and God bless him, I wouldn't wish Alzheimer's on anyone, but he's not playing with a full deck of cards. So I kind of give him a pass. Well, we don't know, we don't know what, what his um, coherence problems are, so let's not speculate there. But uh, okay. it, I think I'm it's just, fair to say that saying, but, he's not as know, sharp as he used to be. Harris, no, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, no. <laughs> he never was, though. You know, he was always a bloviator. He's the guy that demagogued Robert Bork. Then he demagogued uh, Clarence Thomas. No one should be surprised that Joe Biden is playing the race card now. No. What I am surprised at is Harris, who appears to be cognitively functioning at a a normal rate, with her, you know, um, burn down cities. They should not stop. They will not stop. Yep. What is the Minnesota Freedom Fund to bail out the the criminals, looters in the in the wake of the riots? That was Kamala Harris promoting that. How do how does a person like that look at themselves in the mirror at night and not be totally embarrassed? Well, let me tell you, I I can't reach into the inner recesses of the liberal left. Um, I, I I do think they're perpetually. 
adolescent. I, I mean, that's the best explanation I've ever I can come up with for liberals. They are stuck in a juvenile mode. I remember when I was serving in Congress, I used to be greeted at the airport and elsewhere on my own property with protesters, and they were like children, but they were forty and fifty years old. Look at Twitter; these are these are adolescents. But I don't care what drives them. I care about defeating them. And were it not for corporate America, nonprofit America, liberal churches, and the media, they wouldn't last a New York minute. But they get cover. And that is the existential crisis that we better fix, and soon. Uh, hey, thanks for calling, Stephen. Let's squeeze in uh, Vicki. She's in Shoreview, Minnesota, not far from here. Uh, Vicki, thanks for waiting. Thanks for calling. Thank you. It's good to hear your voice. Very familiar and rational, pre-11. I love it. So I'm calling today to say I want to invite everyone to join Minnesota. Um, If you're blue, prove it. We're putting blue porch lights um, and decorating our house in blue lights to support our police, our fathers, sons, brothers, daughters, and neighbors. And we'd like to invite everyone in America and your own communities to... uh, let good America idea. glow throughout the land. What do you think is going to happen if the if the Floyd verdict doesn't go exactly as some folks want it to go? Well, it's not going to go as every any folks want it to go. I mean, I think uh, there's two rational probably jurors on there, and maybe. Well, what do you think is going to happen in the city? Quickly, what do you think is going to uh, happen in the cities? Oh, we're in trouble. We were in trouble last night in Brooklyn Park. We're in yeah. trouble. Vicky, yeah. I got to run, but thanks so much for waiting. Appreciate the call and put that blue light out. I, I, uh, I, I couldn't, you know, uh, if you want to see what chaos is, keep undercutting the police, folks. Back on the EIB network after this. Hey, don't forget, everybody, Rush 24-7 is up and running. Now, you miss this show each and every day when it ends. Well, he's there for you any time of the day or night at Rush 24-7. Find out what he said and these great clips on any topic. Uh, it's all there. You can join at RushLimbaugh.com. That's RushLimbaugh.com. Choose a monthly subscription or lock in a full year. Rush is always there for you at Rush. 24-7. As always, a great, great uh, thrill to be here, and I will see you all tomorrow. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling Severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel the Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes that we're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. GCU believes in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. 
Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams, offering over 330 academic programs as of September 2023. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, govx.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel, hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code CLAY in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve. 